Okay, here we are back again for another episode of Just Another Bozo on the Bus. I'm your host, Paul Randack, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague today, literally a colleague, because uh, Tiffany, and I, uh, Tiffany and I work together just about every day. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's true. Um, so, uh, welcome, Tiffany. Thank you for being here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, I think you know a little bit about what we do here, um, and our goal, of course, is to get to know a little bit about you and your story, and of course, what makes you, or what allows you to be, not makes you, just another bozo on the bus, and what connects all of us together. Mm-hmm. So, um, we'll go ahead and get started, and tell us tell us a little bit about uh, your life and your life story, and and kind of how you got here. And did you grow up here in Salt Lake? I, I did. Okay. Yeah, I grew up in South Jordan. South Jordan. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Big family, little family? Two kids. Just a little sister that I have. She's four years younger than me. Mm-hmm. And we grew up, out, yeah, out in South Jordan. Went to high school there. Um, I moved, I did, um, I went to the University of Utah and got my bachelor's degree. And then I went to USC and got my master's degree after I was there and I lived in Las Vegas and Arizona and so I got out of Utah a little bit but um, I always keep coming back here <laughs> I, I really well, took advantage glad, glad of that oh, yeah I took advantage of the beautifulness of Utah for sure so now I have a really great appreciation for that after leaving living other places. Tell me what it was like growing growing up here in in Salt Lake. Are, were you raised in the in the predominant uh, faith system? I was, yeah. Okay. Yep. Uh, well, half of my life when I, when I was younger, we lived out in Taylorsville, and my parents weren't um, weren't a part of the church. Um, they would they had like a party lifestyle, and we would go camping, and I remember it just being a totally different lifestyle. Um, and then, but were they raised LDS? So they just, had, um, yeah, no? my mom was, okay. and she kind of went rebel when she got out of <laughs> high school too. And my dad like was a also, lot of people do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My dad was also raised, he was baptized, but he didn't, he wasn't a part of the church or anything. Okay. So, um, and when I was 12, we moved to South Jordan into our neighborhood in South Jordan. And, um, that's when we started going to church and the neighborhood was very, very LDS. Um, dominant and it's almost like we were pressured I felt like even at 12 like it was a pressured thing like for my friends to be going to church and if I wasn't I wasn't part of the group you know and we ended up getting going through the temple and being sealed um, when I was 13 years old which was an interesting experience Um, (laughs) why why do you say interesting (laughs) because uh, I just remember being nervous when I was there. I remember actually going in there and there was one point where my parents came out and they had like different outfits on and different like... You mean not wearing their normal clothes? No, they had like a gown on and a sash and a hat and it was almost... I thought to myself, oh, that has to be from another religion. Like Mm -hmm. it just looked so foreign to me. Right. And my mom's face was covered and it just, I don't know, it just didn't sit with me well, but... Um, yeah, we went and got sealed through the temple and then we, um, just started going to church. And so I grew up in the church. I attended church and was part of it. It was part of my life all through high school. Um, my mom was very, you didn't go through a rebellious stage like your mom did. Oh, I did. I did. But that comes later. (laughs) (laughs) My mom was very, um, she worried a lot about what other people thought. And so 
we would do things like we would go shopping on Sunday mm -hmm. and we would have to close the garage door and I would have mm -hmm. to sneak between the garage door and the back of the car and like hand the groceries off in an assembly line from me to my sister and my wife so that neighbors didn't see that we went to the grocery store on Sunday. Oh, I see. Right. So one of the biggest, I, one of the biggest things I picked up from that is like, if nobody sees you doing it, then it's uh -huh. like it didn't happen. It's okay. Right? It's okay. Yeah. Because yeah. it really didn't happen. Exactly. Yeah. And my, my family still, or my parents still to this day kind of still act that way and still believe that a little bit. They still do things that remind me of, of those kind of things where you just worry a lot about what other people think. Like don't go swimming on Sunday. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, most people that, I mean, mo the, uh, a large part of our audience is here in Utah, but there are people all around the country and the world that, that listen to this podcast. And what's fascinating that to the idea that um, people of the LDS faith um, generally believe that you shouldn't go swimming on Sunday. You shouldn't put yourself in, I guess you can shower or, or whatever, or, yeah. ba or bathe, but you're not supposed to go in large bodies of water, right? Mm -hmm. and, and do you know why that is? I don't. Okay. Do you? I, well, I've been told different things, and you would think I've been indoctrinated into this culture for 40 years. I've been living here that I, I would have a, a clear answer, but I was always told because... Um, uh, things lurk in the darkness of water and those things more being associated with um, uh, un unhealthy or, or evil forces in life. And uh, though I've heard the, the term Satan thrown out a few huh. times and um, my, some of my children who were raised LDS um, have told me, yeah, we were told we, we couldn't go by um, swimming um, by, uh, their their side of the family because um yes the the devil was in the water huh yeah that's interesting yeah yeah i haven't heard that one um <laughs> and but we still weren't allowed to go swimming on sunday so now i think i know why mm. um yeah there's a there's a few things that were indoctrinated you know you hear about you know you have there's different levels of heaven and <laughs> <laughs> and this whole idea that you have to work you know, to here on earth and be, and what I thought I needed to be was perfect. Mm -hmm. And I became a real perfectionist and I'd never wanted to disappoint my mom and she would be disappointed in me a lot over little things. Um, and so I became, you know, very kind of anxious and, and perfectionist, um, in high school. Um, I don't get me wrong. I had a great high school experience and I was on the dance team. I had a lot of friends. We traveled a lot, so it was good. I wouldn't change it, mm -hmm. but Looking back and understanding, you know, how the ways I thought and how I acted a little bit, I understand now why, why that was. There was a certain level of, or intensity of the pressure around you to be and perform in a certain way. Yeah. And, yep. and live under certain standards that, that was, it sounds like it was difficult at times. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think, I think most people can relate to this, mm -hmm. certain expectations and standards that they grew up around. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when I graduated high school, um, I I kind of got tired of being that perfect straight A girl and I had a boyfriend and um you know I remember the first time that me and a few of my friends decided we were going to drink alcohol. <laughs> and um it's so funny cuz growing up spiritual or whatever I always thought like everything happens for a reason and there's signs and 
in life that kind of teach you where to go and stuff. So the first night we were going over to drink alcohol after we made this decision, Mm -hmm. we were driving in the car and it was me and three other of my girlfriends, really my best friends. Mm -hmm. And this car pulls up behind us and he's honking and he's flashing his lights and we didn't know who it was. Mm -hmm. And he had a cowboy hat on and we were really nervous. So we pull over and we get out and it was just another guy friend of ours, Mm -hmm. a few guy friends. And they saw us and they wanted to stop us and they really wanted us to come to this party. So they sat there and begged us not to go over to my boyfriend's house and and they didn't know we were drinking, but they just wanted us to go with them. So I always saw that as like, if I would have just one choice in my life, if I would have made that different choice Mm -hmm. and went with that, my life could have been completely different because after I made the choice to go and to the drink party? alcohol to the party, yeah. But wait, I, had you already? But just to clarify, but had you were planning on drinking that night anyway? But at your friend's house or no? At my at my boyfriend's at your house. boyfriend's house, yeah. Okay. So okay. the friend just wanted us to go to a different a different party, party. yeah. Okay. So that one decision had it been made differently, I could have had it because I. Had so this to- was a, this was one of those crossroads. Yeah, exactly. Okay. okay. That's what that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it was yeah. a crossroad, and after that night, um, I loved it, and um, not on really an addict level, if you will, but just I it was I. It was fun, and I was could let loose, and I didn't have to be that perfect girl. And <laughs> it took that anxiety level down a little yeah. bit. That, that that you use the word perfectionism uh-huh. a bit. So, but it it kind of released you from that in a sense. Yeah, yeah, it okay. did. And that came from not just drinking, but just um, making my own decisions. I just I don't know. It just I loved it, and and the lifestyle of it was probably the biggest thing. It became part of our lifestyle. And that's when I kind of turned away and went my own direction. Okay. So when you say turning away, you mean turning away from the the structure of um, family and church and those yeah, kinds of yep, things? Yeah. Okay. And um, d- d- I'm curious at that night, uh, did your boyfriend come to the party too? Or was it just you and your girlfriends? Oh, no, he was going? there. Oh, yeah. he was there. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, he had a few friends that were there. Okay. They were already drinking. Okay. And... Yeah, I went there and took my first um, shot of vodka, and that was that. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying this is a moment where you actually were off to the races. Yeah. Okay. I was. I was first off time, to the races. no alcohol, nothing at this point in life. Nope, nothing. Okay. So with that same boyfriend, though, the alcoholism did turn, or, well, the partying, I should say, mm-hmm. turned into pills though so we were dating and we were all drinking with my friends and doing Mm -hmm. all that now i'm down in utah county going to uvu and on their dance team and um we're drinking a lot and and there was one night we were at my parents house and my parents were out of town and my my boyfriend said let's go look in your medicine cabinet Mm -hmm. when i was younger my dad had broken his neck and he was paralyzed and he had a lot we found that he had a lot of old these are really old pain pills left from that accident and i had no idea i and he goes just try one and convinced me that it was a prescription this is your boyfriend yeah yeah convinced me that it was a prescription so it was okay and i i bought into that (laughs) i truly fully believed that yeah and i understand it's a justification now but that was my truth then it made sense yeah sure yeah. yeah and so i felt better doing pills than drinking so the partying with drinking turned into pain pills and that was around the time the Oxycontin was around. And so I got really into um, pain pills at that point. And that's that's where things started to kind of go downhill. And um, Do you think that 
um, this this the shift from alcohol to to opiates was a, was it a quick shift or was it one that that kind of gradually happened? Do you think? Uh, gradually happened. Okay. Um, because I could I could leave drinking. I could take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. It was just something that we did, and it was. But um, the more that the pills were introduced, the more I leaned towards that. Okay. And okay. and in my mind, that was actually better than the drinking. Oh well, well of course it was. Okay. It was you know a doctor had approved someone to take yeah. them at some point. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Of course, it depends on where you grow up, because where I grew up in, in Connecticut, New England, there were plenty of doctors that said, you know, a glass of wine or a, a beer every day was was uh, really healthy for you. Yeah. So, you it know, it, 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 it depends on kind of our culture in which we're, you know, uh, we're, we're assimilated into as well. But, I, okay, I understand. Yeah. Um, with the idea, though, and this is, this is a stereotype, you hear this all the time, I was going to say stereotype, but that um, at least in the culture here in Utah, and, and I know some others, that if a doctor prescribes it and it's made by a company, a pharmaceutical company, then those things are okay. Mm-hmm. And there's even some belief associated with it that, as irrational as it is or, or sounds, that because a doctor gave it to us or prescribed it to us or <laughs> prescribed it to a family member. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know we laugh, right? Yeah. It's like, well, it was, that you, works know, too. you know, and, and that works too, because, you know, I mean, it's in the house already and yeah, it's so not using it. It's kind of belongs it. to the family and yeah. everyone should be able to do it. I have family that still thinks this way and I go, you're not supposed to give pills yeah. to other family members. It's actually, you know, a federal crime. Anyway, <laughs> enough on that. So, um, you begin to assimilate into, in, into the opiates and they become then what the, what the focus or the, the primary draw. Yeah, as far as and that that became my first addiction. Okay, was taking pills. So okay, um, yeah, I remember. You know, my boyfriend was down at Dixie in St. George, and I would go down there every weekend. And the whole thing revolved around getting pills. And um, I, you know, it would be like Lortab's the first time we started with Percocet, and then we went on to OxyContin, and we would do things like we would get a prescription from a doctor and we would go in and use our parents' insurance to fill the prescription. And the person that got us the prescription would give us five pills and then he would keep the rest. So we had a lot of funky, weird, not good stuff going on like that. And I actually ended up getting addicted to it and I needed it to function. Mm -hmm. And right around that time, uh, my boyfriend at the time, he overdosed. and um, On on pills? Uh Uh-huh. And, um, which is an interesting story in and of itself, but just for time, he... Were you with him? So, um, yeah, that night, uh, he started shooting Oxycontin and it was like the first or second, well, second or third time he had ever done Oxycontin intravenously. And that was the night before. And I was at his house and, um, I had to go home Mm -hmm. and, um, I had this really gut feeling that something was wrong. And I, I couldn't sleep all night. And I remember if I kind of fell asleep and woke up in the morning and I'm like, something's wrong. I'm just going to call and check on him. And he didn't answer the phone. And I called a bunch of times. And so I called his mom, which just I, I just asked her to go check on him. Just kind of ran mm-hmm. out of the blue, just this gut feeling. And she went down there and, yeah, his lips were blue and he had vomited and he was out. And um, and so that was a whole chaotic thing. He was in a coma for a couple of days. You Had know. he asphyxiated, but you know, like because he vomited. Yeah. And okay. Yeah. So he wasn't breathing at that. No, moment. no, okay. his lips were blue. He wasn't breathing. Um, he was in a he was in a coma. Um, 
they told us that he was going to be a vegetable and because he had, they didn't know how much brain damage had been done for not for lack of oxygen. It was just a really obviously scary time. And at the time I thought I loved him. And so in my eyes, my world was ending. Um, but he ended up living and he came out of it and Mm -hmm. he never stopped doing drugs. He still does them to this day. So, but he didn't end up becoming a vegetable per se. Okay. So he, he got the most of his faculties back. I mean, okay. Yeah. He came out of it kind of miraculously with nothing wrong, which I think is a little bit worse. You know, he got away with it kind of a thing and he didn't, he wasn't there to witness the horror of it because he was out. Right. And so to him, it was just almost not a big deal. Not something that shook him at all. He woke up in the hospital and he could see that his family and friends were concerned for him, but he just went right back to doing it again. And I believe had, you know, he been able to see that or be a part of what it was like to go through almost losing somebody that that might be enough Mm -hmm. to stop him. But no, he still did it. It it was enough to stop me. So I, I stopped, um, on my own at that point using, um, pain pills. What were those? I'm curious if you don't mind, what were the, what did those conversations feel like? Cause I, I'm guessing again, I'm, I'm assuming that were you, did you want him to stop? I mean, did, were you talking to him yeah. about this at uh-huh. the time? Yep. And what, what were those conversations like it, that, it that was you had? Pretty much me begging and pleading and trying to explain to him how close he was to death. And, um, and yeah, just, just trying to get him to understand what had happened to him. That was the main focus. And, um, he just didn't get it. And so, um, I also talked to him about, you know, I was in school and I was on the dance team and it, it was starting to like, my parents had got wind of it and it was starting to affect my life. And so I would share that with him as Mm -hmm. well. And nothing really mattered. And so at one point I was like, I can't do this anymore because he kept using and I had finally got through the stages of detox and everything. And, I remember going to Iceberg one day and he threatened to kill himself if I left, if we stopped. And that, um, I didn't listen to him, obviously. It was just a cry for attention. Right. And I ended up, we ended up breaking up, which was probably one of the better decisions I've made in my life. So he attempted to manipulate you through using, um, the, uh, the notion that he would hurt himself mm-hmm. or kill himself if you stopped using with him. If, if we broke up. Oh, if we broke yeah, up. Yeah, because it okay, got sorry. to the point yeah. where I wasn't, he knew I wasn't using anymore and I wouldn't be around him if he were okay. using. Okay. So he kind of held me hostage to saying, I can't live without you. I can't stop doing drugs without you. You know, um, I'm going to kill myself. Mm-hmm. And I called his bluff and of course it was just, you know, a manipulation, like you said. And he ended up going down that path and still on that path. In some cases, it's hard to know these things, but there is usually a definite difference between someone who's in a, in a depressed, lonely, you know, dark place in their life with a lot of shame and someone who's using, you know, self-harm threats to manipulate somebody else. Yeah. And it's not always easy to tell the difference between these, these states. Um, and and so there is a, obviously a risk there associated with yeah, this. Yeah, for sure. Um, but you, you know, you 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 knew this person well enough mm-hmm. to understand what was going on, and you guys had been through a lot already. And um, he had already been through uh, really a death. I mean, he had died, mm-hmm. but was revived. Yes, you know. So yeah. you, you had kind of seen this all the way through. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you broke up. We broke up. And yeah. then, and uh, what? Where did things go from there? Um. So from there, I I um, moved back home and I lived with my parents and um, I started at my first job out of high school and I was a law clerk at uh, at an attorney's office. Uh-huh. And so this is when I was about 19 years old and I was still drinking and like casually and, but I had gotten my life back on track and probably one of the healthiest times of my life. If I look back and mm-hmm. at that was this time of my life. Some of the most stable times. Stable times. Yeah. 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 Where I was taking care of myself and I had a goal and I was working on it. And so, yeah, I worked at this law office and that's where I met my ex-husband was here at this law office. He was a... He was a law clerk, like a law school student clerk at this mm-hmm. attorney's office, and I was kind of their runner. I would go to different offices and drop documents off. That's when you couldn't, we didn't have email. That makes me sound so old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah or, or even if we did, you weren't able to do things legally over email yeah, exactly. at that time. You didn't yep. have the type of encrypted documentation exactly. that we have today, yep. of course. So my job as the runner was to run around Salt Lake and deliver documents mm-hmm. and pick documents up, and it was really it was a professional job and it was a good Mm -hmm. job, but, um, I remember it was in this old house, this old mansion down on South temple. And I remember, I know exactly where it is. Do you? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's not an office, an attorney's office anymore, but it's that how I don't, I'm not sure what it is right now, but I was walking up the stairs in this big, you know, spiral squeaky Mm -hmm. stairs. And I remember turning in the corner and this was my first day and I see my ex-husband in there and he's moving around his office and he he's Italian and he has this wife beater on and he has this big cross <laughs> tattoo on his arm and I was like everything my parents would freak out about <laughs> I was like oh my god who is this guy this is yes I'm going after him <laughs> It's like <laughs> I found everything that my parents had taught me not to do and found that so attractive in this. If in I was going to, this was the perfect moment to differentiate. Yeah. <laughs> right. Or at least I thought so at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's how we met. And um, he's quite a bit older than me. Mm-hmm. And so, and at the time he was um, living with somebody and so that wasn't cool, but we kind of snuck around. You know, we couldn't tell anybody that, like, at work, obviously. I mean, I was 19 years old. Um, and it was fun, and it was exciting. Mm-hmm. And um, that eventually turned into love. It turned into true love eventually. Mm-hmm. But at first, I think it was just the excitement and just like any relationship. Infatuation. Infatuation, yeah. Sure, yeah, right. Yeah. And, you know, he took care of me, and I was just young and fun and you know, enjoyed going out to nice restaurants and mm-hmm. and doing all of those like the things that um, the stereotype of like an older man taking care of a younger girl. Mm-hmm. I I didn't see it that way. I I thought I really and at one point I did love him, but I would I thought I really had we had a connection mm-hmm. and it wasn't just about him taking care of me. But that's how it started for sure. You mean a, sort of a a dynamic in the relationship early on was. Um, had sort of a traditional feel to it when you mean the being taken care of and, and it means someone that was supporting you and taking care of you and and, and or i mean financially too or what what, no, what are you referring to i'm taking care of me i guess is just like yeah maybe traditional taking me out on dates and mm-hmm. doing fun things and he never gave me any financial support okay. Okay. or anything like that i was very very independent and wouldn't go there and um 
but just, yeah, just making life enjoyable and doing things that my 19-year-old people that I would be dating mm-hmm. were, weren't able to do. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Like, for Christmas, he gave me a, a air, an airline ticket to Los Angeles to mm-hmm. go spend the weekend with him, and then we went to Arizona, and we were going all these places kind of sneaking around, and, you know, that wasn't normal for my friends, so. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And was he still with this other person at this yeah, time? Yeah, Okay. And um, she eventually found out, and, um, you know, that was not cool. I actually... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that wasn't cool. <laughs> no, no, it no, wasn't. Definitely for her. <laughs> yeah, okay. definitely for her. Um, so they ended up breaking up, and... Um, I ended up meeting up with her when, and we can talk about this later, but just when things went south with my ex-husband and I actually met up with her and she told me how she felt about how he and I started and how they broke up and I was able to make amends with her for my side of the story and Mm. it was actually turned into a beautiful thing. But at the time it just, it wasn't cool. And you know, I I take responsibility for my actions and, and what I did and my part in it, but I also think just the maturity that he had and and the understanding that he had of that relationship that that he would I would have hoped or you know thought maybe do differently than that sure you know and that kind of showed me the kind of person he was like Mm -hmm. I I guess but I just kind of ignored it and yeah it was just well the infatuation was you know if you're still infatuated and and you're building you're creating a love for this person um i mean you and i know this we deal with this every day in our job is you know the the, we we end up developing a confirmation bias we have defense mechanisms Mm -hmm. that we have built in so we're only we kind of want to look at only certain aspects to the dynamics of relationships quite often so this sounds like maybe a case of that where you only for whatever reason and, and hopefully for your your own preservation and preservation of the relationship, you decided to not look too far outside the box, so to speak. Yep. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So they ended up, yeah, breaking up and we carried on. Um, Let's see. Um, I'm guessing at this point it maybe came out at work too or... Yeah, Yeah, so the summer had ended and I started going to the University of Utah and so I wasn't working there okay. anymore. Okay. And so um I actually did go back to work for a period of time there and um like a couple months later but any I wasn't working there anymore. So I started school and we just kept doing our thing and you know he would come over to my apartment. I was living with one of my best friends and my friends were always like, "What are you doing to me?" Cuz he was just this older guy. Mm-hmm. And they just we were so young. How, what was the age difference, approximately? 20 years. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's a big age difference. So he was 39, you were 19, 19 at the time, yep. approximately. Okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So significant difference, mm-hmm. right? And um, so, yeah, my my friends would, ha- would hang out with him, and he would be around him and stuff, but they just didn't, they knew it wasn't the best thing for me and wanted me to see through that, but I just, I just kept going with it. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so eventually it came out, and um, um, eventually my parents, you know, met him. I remember the first time I brought him to, to meet my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, my sister had gotten pregnant when she was a teenager, and they were deciding what to do with the baby and with the father and rights, and, and my ex-husband's a divorce attorney. And so my parents had figured out that he and I were dating, and 
I just kind of used that as an opportunity to have him come over and meet my parents so that he could give kind of some legal some advice. Some legal advice, yeah. right? Yeah. And I remember I thought, you know, they were they were not going to embrace it at all, but they just kind of rolled their eyes and said I knew that they couldn't do anything about it and he came over and and eventually as time went on he just became part of our family mm. and it was just the norm. Hmm. It wasn't so they they whether they you know whether it's what they w- wanted for you in the long run they had um, they had already come to the place of acceptance based upon knowing you on some level that you were going to do what you were going to do. Yeah. Right? Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And uh, they weren't naive. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I was going to do what I was going to do and um I don't think they ever thought in their wildest dreams that it would turn into marriage. Mhm. And I, from the beginning, had this, he's he's the guy for me, and and pictured marriage and knew that that's where it was going, mm-hmm. and there was that connection there between us. And so um, a lot of people ask, like, was it more about, like, just support and, like, the money and him taking care of you, or or was it, you know, an actual love? And it was an actual connection and an actual love mm-hmm. that we did. I, I wouldn't have married somebody. It's just not the kind of person I am to mm-hmm. take advantage of a situation like that. Um, I... Yeah. For just one type of gain is what you're saying. That yeah, exactly. There needed to be something of substance there mm-hmm. on some level for you to, you know, decide to make this change in your life mm-hmm. and to be with this person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I liked all the qualities of him. He was an awesome dad. He had, I at one point had two stepkids. Mm-hmm. Um, I was five years older than the oldest one. <laughs> and so I was just kind of tiff in their life. Um, mm-hmm. it wasn't like a stepmom or anything. And they actually had a mom who I was friends with mm-hmm. and she had an issue with drugs and depression and she ended up, um, overdosing and dying when the kids were like 15 and oh 12. So they lost their mom and that put me in a spot. Cause by this time my husband and I are married and, um, and I was acting as whatever the role I was. I was, I just say I was just tiff cause yeah, but on some level you, now, on some level, you became an instant mom too. I mean, yeah, that, exactly. You, that, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that is quite a huge shift. And you're what twenty right by, by now or something? So or? we, I got married. When we, this skipped ahead. Like I'm about twenty five years. Okay, old Okay, sorry. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, I, I have no sense of time. Okay, <laughs> so, so this is about five years into the relationship. Yeah, and you, you get married and yeah, we and, get and, and their biological mother dies. Yes. Yep. Okay. So you'd already been, even though you were their friend, Tiff, and those kinds of things, and um, there was a, definitely a dynamic change there mm-hmm. because they were going through grief and loss and and things. And so, did your relationship change with them at this time too, or um, not with the older one, but with the younger one? It did. He was still grasping for something, and he took it the hardest. And um, he actually—that's a hard age. I mean, that yeah. right in the middle of identity development, trying to figure out who we are. I mean, adolescents go through so much, you know, change and and understanding and trying to figure out who they are at this point in their life. That something like that can can be really devastating. Yeah, sure, it was. Yeah. It was devastating, and um, he he had already been like dabbling in some unhealthy behaviors himself, this younger kid Mm -hmm. smoking weed and went to judge high school. There was a lot of drugs there. And anyways, (laughs) um, I, I took on this role of 
kind of being the helper. St- still are, by the way. I am. Yeah. <laughs> judge, for better, for worse. I mean, every school has its reputation, but judge has a reputation for being one that um, there because maybe the, the affluence of the 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 population, mm-hmm. but there there does seem to be some some issues with. Uh, higher than maybe normal with with substance abuse yeah, going on there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There was. And um so when his mom died, I kind of s- stepped in into a my own role that I that fit me as whatever I was, not stepmom, but I was like I say just tiff and I supported him and helped him through a lot of his struggles. So he ended up getting into heroin and he was in and out of jail and his dad um, got tired of him at, a lot of times and wouldn't talk to him, and I would be the one that would go see him in jail and try to get him into treatment, and that kind of became my role with this with the younger kid. And um, I was able to relate to him. And sure, you you had already had your experience with opiates uh-huh. so, at this point, at least that experience. Yeah. And so you could empathize yeah. very easily. Mm-hmm. Did you? I'm, I'm going to just ask this now because did you know then that, or had you thought? about this at any point during you know about becoming a therapist i mean yeah okay yeah. so you'd already thought because i i knew people ask me when did i know and i'll say you know way before i ended up becoming one mm-hmm. that i knew in high school or somewhere junior high maybe that this is actually what i wanted to be i wanted to be a counselor mm-hmm. and um and, and it wasn't until you know years later and many in a number of different careers that I finally went, why am I not doing actually what feeds me and what, what is my passion in yeah. life? So, yeah. yeah, but you, you knew this back then too. Yeah. I'm this is okay. where the, I would say the, 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 the idea came is from this help that I was giving. I, I was, I had finished college and I had my undergrad in health promotion and education. Oh, okay. Focused on community health. So, um, and that's kind of my passion was this health and wellness promotion and that was kind of what I was into. But then this goes along and I'm I'm get involved and I and I figure and I was able to help him through it and I thought, you know, this I do enjoy doing this and I, I'm kind of good at it and so I decided to go to school to be a therapist. Cool. Yeah. All right. All right. So what, as far as um, the family at this point, um, mm-hmm. did you, do you guys have any of your own kids at this point or? So no, not at this point. Um, so let's see. When I was 28, we had my first, we had our first baby. Okay. And what happened there was, um, so the, the, his youngest son was in a really bad place. So he think he was in jail and kind of separated from us as much as we, we weren't really dealing with him at this time because he was really bad off and there was nothing that I could do anymore for him. Mm-hmm. And so we had talked about starting to have our own family and, um, wanting to have kids. And we tried for two years and weren't able to get mm-hmm. pregnant. And so we finally went and got tested and, um, it was a lot harder on me not being able to get pregnant he had already had two kids and he was in a different stage of his life but mm-hmm. ready and willing and wanted to have more with me and um so we went through some fertility stuff and ended up we were going to do um ivf mm-hmm. and i remember it was going to cost eighteen thousand dollars because we were going to do this insurance policy that was just the number and we had a check ready and we were going into um i was going to walmart to pick up my prescriptions and i just wasn't feeling well and anyways i get to walmart and I, 
I don't pick up my prescriptions. I pick up a pregnancy test. Uh-huh. And understand that I had banned myself from pregnancy tests for about six months prior to that because every time I took sure, one, it was right. negative and I would be devastated. The, the disappointment was becoming um, d- probably unhealthy and destructive yes. for you, right? Yeah. yeah. And so I hadn't taken a pregnancy test for six months or so. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, this is, I just feel really weird. I'm just going to do this one last pregnancy test before. Well, and was it, and you had some symptoms, you have some symptomology uh-huh. that you didn't, it couldn't quite wrap your head around. Yeah. Time, yeah. So. It was just, it was, I was feeling different. Yeah. And I'm this one last time I'll take this pregnancy test. And, oh my. and, um, I did and I was pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how that works out, right? Yeah, right. And you were all ready to go in and have in vitro, and, uh-huh. and, you, yep. and, and, and you decided not to, mm-hmm. obviously, at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we got pregnant. Did you go through a lot of, um, you know, personalization of this? Is there something wrong with me? I can't get pregnant kind of thing. Were you, were you in, was, you know, you and I've never talked about this uh-huh. issue, and, and right, and understandably so. It's maybe not workplace mm-hmm. type of discussion, but were, were you, did you ever, were you were you personalizing this that or you know was there any shame about that at all at all no, at this point okay because no i assumed and then it was confirmed that the problem was with him oh okay so, <laughs> so his, his swimmers weren't were, no they weren't they, 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 they weren't very athletic no. is what you're trying to say exactly <laughs> right. and the crazy thing is is when we went in to work for our consultation the doctor actually said that we weren't good candidates because we have a hot tub mm-hmm. and he was like if he needs my ex-husband needs to get out of the hot tub for six months right. and then try again. But don't right. go to, but we decided to do IVF anyways. Along the way, though, he stopped getting in the hot tub, and I think that's why it ended up working out for us, yeah. which is kind of a crazy story. It, that is. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, no personalization. Well, and how, how, I mean, the doctor recommends get out of the hot tub and like, that will change everything. Exactly. I mean, but you can buy, you know, back then you could buy two or three hot tubs, you know, for that <laughs> amount of money. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So, and he wanted us to wait six months and we're like, no, I was, I was ready to have a a baby. And so, um, yeah, we, we got pregnant and wait, 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 sorry. No, you're good. You're the doctor recommended to, are you meaning he recommended aborting? Oh no, no, no. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. That's probably me. I just didn't. No, I'm, I'm probably saying it confusing when we went in to get just to constantly consult yeah. to see if we wanted to get IVF. We told him oh, our situation. Okay, gotcha. And Sorry. he said, before you do IVF, I think that you should try to get out of the hot tub, wear different underwear, <laughs> and wait six months because uh-huh. it's such a such a large chunk of money. You need to do mm-hmm. everything and explore all your options before. Right, okay. And then, yeah, along the way, he did that, but we were still planning on getting IVF, and then I got pregnant. Awesome. <laughs> awesome, <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. So, um... Yeah, I had my baby. Her name is Talia, and she is the love of my life. Um, shortly after she was born, I started my master's program um, through the online program at USC mm-hmm. and their MSW program. So that was what I did for a few years. We were living up in Park City, and I was being a mom and getting my degree. And so I was 28 at the time when I got mm-hmm. my master's degree. So. Um, that kind of became my focus for a while. Um, I don't know. Do you want me to keep going or? Yes, of course. Yeah. 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 And just kind of just take us us through this, this process. And, and, um, because I'm going to guess at some point in here that something shifted for you. Yeah. Yeah. So along the way, just us having our five years, just being married and no kids. And then 
even into after I had kids, we were partiers. It was a huge part of our lifestyle. Um, every weekend we would go boating during the summer and Pineview and just big, par- just partying all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't mention this, but when I, when we first got engaged right after um, college, or mm-hmm. no, right after that, I graduated from the U. I um, got a job as a pharmaceutical sales rep and relocated to Las Vegas. Oh, <laughs> okay. And... Um, made a ton of money, could do whatever I wanted. It was an easygoing job mm-hmm. living in Vegas. And so it became just this big party. And a, a, a shift in lifestyle at that yes, point. Exactly. I mean, yes, exactly. That become, became my focus. And, mm-hmm. you know, we were at the top of the, of the ghost or of the Palms Hotel. That's in he, that's where he proposed to me. And mm-hmm. just, it just became our lifestyle. We were just living that life and it was fun. It was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. Um, and then I moved home and we got married and stuff, but the partying continued. So it was just part of our lifestyle. Everything, mm. that's all we ever did. And it gradually turned into... Was a, it primarily just alcohol at this point? Yeah, or? so it was okay. just alcohol, okay. yeah. So it, it eventually turned into an every night thing. And we would take shots every night. And um, I would never drink during the day or anything, but it was an every single night thing. He'd come from work. Um, I would make us a drink. We would take shots of tequila. It was every night. And... Um, so it still wasn't like affecting my everyday stuff, but it, it started to become a problem. And sure. um, I, I had the baby and I, I was experiencing postpartum and um, pretty bad. Um, and I started drinking more. Um, in addition to the drinking, though, you just asked me if it was just drinking and I should add to that because it wasn't just drinking. Um, he had had, my ex-husband had gone through three or four back surgeries and so he always had um, pain pills. And then we, when we were partying a lot, we had a doctor that would write us prescriptions for Adderall for both of us. Mm-hmm. So those two became addictions as well. And, 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 and for people that can afford it, that's a very common thing to, to do is, even though they're, they are counter-indicated for each other, um, the alcohol and, and uh, amphetamines, because... One, people black out quicker, mm-hmm. um, and alcohol tolerance that you think would be better actually at a certain point cuts off. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. So that it, that was our party combination was um, Red Bull <laughs> vodkas, tequila shots, Adderall, and Percocet. Yeah. Kind of a dangerous mix of drugs and alcohol. But that was, I did that for years. Well, and you know, the, in, in our culture here in Utah, that's called the Mormon speedball. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> it's exactly what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I had my baby and we had these pills and it was part of what we did. And then it turned into more for me. Mm-hmm. And I started looking for them and I, I became obsessed with finding them and he would hide them from me and... I just had this problem and I always, I would always find them and I would always be stealing them and it was causing all of these problems. We tried everything, you know, because we were doing it and he, he enjoyed it too. Like he would give me one Percocet and one Adderall in the morning and that Mm -hmm. was supposed to last me through the day. He would try to ration it and it was so unhealthy, just such a bad, Mm -hmm. yucky, unhealthy time. And that's when I kind of started to spiral down with my addiction and mm-hmm. when that became kind of my focus of life. And so and of right, course the rationing didn't work. I'm going to guess. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> rationing never works. No, right? no. Yeah. So, um, I graduated and got my master's degree and, um, I was working at United Way 
And um, I ended up losing my job at United Way because I showed up while I was drinking. Uh And so it gotten to that point. And um, so then I wasn't working and I was home all day. And um, I had a nanny that would come for like 12 hours a week. And even though I wasn't working and I just kind of got complacent and got really bored. And all I did was drink all day. Mm-hmm. Um, mind you, we're having a lot of problems in our marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not getting along. And well, and he was still using too, I'm guessing. Yeah. So the both of you using is not the, the healthiest or best thing for any type of relationship. Yep. Yeah. 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 And I, I needed to stop. Whether or not he did, I'm not the one to say. But I needed to stop. And it was, in my eyes, impossible to stop in the environment mm-hmm. that I was in with it going on with him. And just that was our life. You know, mm-hmm. I had to get out of there before I could even think about stopping. And that wasn't an option for me. So I just, it just continued for a couple of years. Oh, and my. Okay. Um, this game that I was playing of always finding them, I would break into his office. Like, it got really bad. And... He never, he always tried to help me through it, but I wasn't helping myself. And so nothing was really happening. Um, so yeah, um, a few, three years after that, after Talia was born, I had my other baby and this was a surprise baby. Um, you were not planning on, on having another one. No, I wanted one, but we weren't, we weren't getting along to the point where (laughs) we were having babies, but, um, back up a little bit. My husband had a heart attack. I told you that. Mm -hmm. And, um, very, uh, very close to dying heart attack and very scary. And you know, you had your, yeah, you had mine two months yeah, ago. Yeah, you had yeah. yours two months yeah. ago. So it's not a fun thing to go through. And I'm sure your wife felt a lot like I did. It's just scary. You're yeah. Very close to death. And it happens so sudden. And so here I have a two year old little girl and I'm not working and I'm having my own issues and he's in the hospital, just had almost died. And, um, I was kind of like, where's my life gone? But anyways, he had that heart attack and he recovered and everything was okay. And, um, we got pregnant just randomly after that. Hmm. And so I had my second baby CC and, um, that, that baby came with severe postpartum. I ended up having to go to uni for postpartum with psychosis. I had to stay there for a week to get stabilized. And that's when I, my drinking was at its worst. At its absolute worst, and so. Um, well, and of course, it's only you know escalating and compounding the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and postpartum depression is serious <laughs> stuff. It, it, it you know the and often can you know especially if there's still substances involved can lead to different states of psychosis. So yep, that's what happened. Okay, right. it was bad. Uh, I didn't want to hold my baby. Mm-hmm. Um, I had his mom came into town and had to take care of her. And I remember one point I was upstairs in our bed and, and he came home and came into the room and I was passed out on the bed with a bottle of whiskey in my hands. I don't drink whiskey. It was just what was in the house. And, you know, the well, shade. you did that day. Yeah, I did that okay, day. Right, that right. was my drink that yeah, day. Right, right. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Just, I mean, we got to, these are the crazy stories. And the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm laughing about this uh-huh. is that this is, this is a hard story. I mean, I, yeah. I really appreciate you being vulnerable about this, but that's sort of the insanity t- of addiction, right? Is that, yeah, I don't drink whiskey, but <laughs> I, I pass out with a bottle of it on the bed, on right? The bed, yeah. You know, that, that's sort of the, the bozo-ness of exactly, our lives, right? Yeah. It's, it's a beautiful example of, of the, of the, how we all, become bozos in one form or another but yeah, yeah exactly the addiction bozo yeah the addiction bozo yeah. that's that's that, that's me for sure so <laughs> um 
So as I was going through this, uh, he ended up cheating on me mm-hmm. in a really bad way. And, um, and back up just... By the way, is there a good way? Oh, uh, yeah. That's a true. Yeah, is there a good way to cheat on somebody? Um, yeah, no, just it was, don't I, answer that. I know. <laughs> I'm not going to answer that. But I will say that I say it was in a bad way because it was with somebody who was much younger than me. Oh. So we're talking about a pattern being repeated. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So... And so that Had you ever thought about that over the years of the marriage that he would find, you know, he he may repeat that? Oh, you have. It was a huge fear. Oh, yeah. It was a fight between us. It was a huge fear of mine. In fact, before we got married, we made two commitments to each other. We Mm -hmm. had to say, if if this thing happens, then we'll get a divorce. Mm -hmm. Like, that's my ultimatum. Mine was if you cheat on me. Because I was so afraid that he was going to. Because I I was with him as he was cheating on this other person. Right. You were the other woman. Yeah. I saw all the tricks. I, you know. And so I said, if you ever cheat on me, we'll get divorced. Believe it or not, he said, if you ever get fat, we'll get divorced. And that was his. And it sounds <laughs> oh funny, but he was dead serious. No, no, I, and I totally believe it. And I, I know it's, I, I know so it's shallow and, and all the things associated with it. Because, you know, love is supposed to heal everything, which it, it doesn't heal everything. But self-love can definitely heal, our, you know, our soul. Uh-huh. Um, but that idea that, you know. Well, if I get fat, chances are most people do, you know, put on weight as they age. You oh, know, yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of normal up to a certain point. Mm-hmm. Not and, not for everybody. Well, and having babies, right? Having babies, yeah, yes, will change the body. It yeah, does. Yeah. And ironically, that's the time he started cheating on me. Oh, and okay. so um, and with somebody much younger, and I sensed it for a year, and I played detective for a year. I was obsessed with it. So here I was home. Drinking all the time. Obsessing over Obsessing this. over this. Oh, my god. Obsessing. And I, on Adderall, okay, so I would just obsess and search and search. And I ended up finding it out. And um, I was devastated when I, have, when I found out. I was just devastated. And so uh, we ended up separating. But not surprised. But not surprised De- at all. Devastated, but not surprised. Yeah, not yeah. at all. Yeah. I had gone through a bunch of therapy, actually, prior to this dealing with the the fear and the problems that I was having that it might happen. Yes. I was anticipating yeah. it yeah. and I was so con- like obsessed with everything that he did and thinking, well, is he cheating on me? Is he not? And along the way he had started this relationship and actually was and was gaslighting me the mm-hmm. whole time. And, um, I finally found proof on a USB that this was happening and that all went downhill from there. Um, I was drinking, and we got into a really big fight one night, and I ended up getting arrested. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I moved out of the house, and I moved back in with my parents. Do you want to share what you were arrested for or not? Um, yeah, domestic violence. Okay. Yep. Okay. I was never charged with it. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a long story. I won't go there. Um, but I wasn't charged with it. But, yeah, I did. I did go to jail for a night for it. And I'm assuming you were intoxicated. Very. Okay. Very. Okay. Not one of my finest moments. Something I've still carried shame about, actually. But so um, I moved back in with my parents, and I, here I was on my own, and I took everything that I could take, and I left the house, and I was like, I need to get my stuff. I need to get my shit together, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, weakest, lowest point of my life, living in my parents with two kids and just like, what the hell happened? You know, how did I end up here? 
So really, um, and, and, and addicted to multiple substances. Yes. So yeah, yep. you've got two or three different variables going on, mm-hmm. and not to mention the the effects that these different chemicals are having on you. Oh. You know, from a psychological and neurological mm-hmm. point of view, this whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to justify and rationalize the behavior by any means, but it's not uncommon, obviously. I mean, we know that working in this field, that when you get put these kind of cocktails together, people become very erratic and very irrational, and they don't um, emote in, in, in any healthy, often in any healthy, you know, mm-hmm. constructive ways. Yeah. So not, exactly. not justifying the behavior. But no, under, but it's Trying true. to understand it, you know, why? Because people will react out. They say, you know, alcohol does not, is not the basis of a good relationship any anytime or anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah, it may seem like a party, but it it does end up just destroying even, you know, things that's, that can seem very stable for long periods of time. Anyway. Yeah. So you're back home, back, you know, living with your folks. You took take the girls with you? Um, y- Is that what you said? No, I didn't take the girls oh, with okay. me at that point. Okay. Um, he had them. So that, like, I moved out that night. I went to jail and I got, my brother-in-law came and got me out. Mm-hmm. And I went home and he had taken the girls because um, I was I gave I was too upset couldn't deal with it mm-hmm. so he'd taken the girls in a trailer like our camper or whatever mm-hmm. and I packed up everything I could and my and this is like at one o'clock in the morning and my lo- my brother-in-law who I love dearly he mm-hmm. helped me pack a bunch of stuff moved to my parents house and there I sat you know this new stage of life and so um, I went to treatment so, you know, there's, I mean, I, I want to show you the parallel in, in a way. You probably already thought about this, maybe not. But you know, the, the 19-year-old girl who saw the guy with the, the, the cross tattoos, you know, in the, in the other office uh-huh. and all those things and things. This is, this is it. You had turned into, I mean, I know this is, this is not supposed to be funny. But you kind of turned into a badass, you know. You were fueled by drugs and alcohol. You know, you got into a place where, you know, you're, you were, you know, emoting and expressing anger openly and hostile towards people and you you'd, you know i'm not saying this in a good way but you'd become a bit of a badass uh-huh. you know unhealthy yeah yeah but you know badass nonetheless badass nonetheless <laughs> <laughs> glad they were your words first yeah. okay <laughs> anyway so your, your brother-in-law helps you move out you you get to your parents and yeah what happens from there i end up checking myself into treatment and so i did 30 days mm-hmm. um at turning point and then um, I, yeah, I tried a bunch. I did IOP for a little bit and then I went back to day treatment and I was struggling this whole time. I wasn't, I, I was, what was going on in my life was so overwhelming mm-hmm. that I wasn't able to pull out of it Okay. at that time. I, I'm not saying I wasn't ready cause I, I felt ready, but my circumstances and the way I viewed it at that time, it was just, it was making it almost impossible for yeah. me to. To focus on myself and get myself better. And so I did a lot of different treatments. I did 30-day stint. I did two-week stint. I did a lot of three or four IOP programs, day treatment programs. Were you and going back to, to any? Were you going back to one substance, or was it? Were you going back to multiple? At this point, it was just alcohol. Okay. Yeah, okay. I had I didn't, no longer had access to the the pills. Okay. So it was just alcohol, and alcohol eventually he, that's the one that took me down. It was the worst and had the most impact on my life, but. Um, yeah, so here, um, I'm going to treatment, getting in and out of treatment, um, trying to pull myself out of this and it just wasn't working. And, um, I, there was the last time it happened, I ended up getting a DUI. Um, so just a little bit of backstory on that. 
I was really stressed out about money and he he supports me but he's very frugal with his money and I still struggle a lot with the financial situation and mm-hmm. so I was I was really um not I didn't have any money I had nothing and uh, I was stressed and didn't know what I was going to do and here I had this master's degree and I was going to go down to the the club and start serving drinks and maybe dancing a little bit uh-huh. just that was my plan and I made up my mind one day and said that's what I was going to do and I had talked to the guy already and so I was on my way to have my first shift and I got a DUI. Oh my. <laughs> so that's <stopped laughs> as if, me. If it is as if that wasn't a thunderbolt, right? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> See these things. Mm-hmm. That was one of the things and that yeah. stopped me. Yeah. And that was enough for me to say I'm done. I can't do this anymore. So yeah. I ended up going to treatment for the last time and I was there for 45 days and then I lived in sober living for 3 months and and I started working for Wasatch, and here I am. Wow, wow, quite a wild ride. Yeah. So, and at, at some point along the way here, you know, well, first of all, congratulations for getting through that. I, you know, the, the getting a DUI on the way to you know start working in a club, dancing, whatever you you were looking to do, mm-hmm. um, that and and then accepting that lightning bolt as you know, okay. I, I need to start doing something yep. different. The okay. universe, God, they're they're yeah. telling me something. Okay. Just a lot similar to my experience in high school with yeah. that car. I relate those two things a lot as yes. far as different paths I could have taken in life, and it was a it was an opportunity to make different choices. So that going back to that that uh, that night that you went to the party, uh-huh. right? You you see that as a turning point. That kind of led all the way through mm-hmm. to this night when you got yeah. the DUI and then, you know, ch- change things. Yep. Okay. Yep. G- great. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, when you look at it from that perspective, two different car rides. You yep. Know? And that's, you know, there's probably a great book in here. But anyway, enough. Oh, enough yeah. I've yeah. always thought about writing a book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely a great book in here. So, um,. Okay. Wow. So, but you did you you did get divorced. So, yeah. when when did that happen in this process? So, this was about a year and a half ago. We got divorced. Um, I ha- so I was I had moved out for a long. The divorce just took a little bit of okay. a, a while. Sure. So we were separated. Whatever. Officially divorced like a year and a half mm-hmm. later, and um, and I was living with my parents, and um, I I couldn't. I was in just a really bad place, and I ended up. I obviously lost my license, and so I found a job as a um, receptionist at mm-hmm. a salon. And here I was with a master's degree, sitting in the front of a salon, you know. And um, and slowly my life started changing there. I had to take the bus and get rides and mm-hmm. and um, go through that whole thing. And I, you know, I learned a lot from that. I remember there's one time when. I would do the inventory and there was a lot of different cool beauty products mm-hmm. and stuff. And up until then, stealing to me wasn't a big deal. It just, it just become something that didn't bother me. And so, um, I would have a product that I wanted and I would pay for it, but I would ring it up for like 75% off cause nobody would ever know I did all of the work. Mm-hmm. And there was one day that I was sitting there and I'm like, why am I doing this? And I decided that day, I'm not going to do things like that anymore. I'm not going to have these little lies and I'm, no, even though nobody knows, it, it kind of goes back to the story with when I was the grocery 
the groceries with my mom mm-hmm. and the whole, if nobody knows it didn't happen. If nobody knows it didn't happen, yeah. right. So, Especially if it happens in the garage. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so now I have this, this opportunity to do it here and I'm like, that's not the kind of person I want to be. I don't want to be the kind of person that is stealing, even though mm-hmm. nobody's going to find out and it's not going to get back to me. And I made a decision that day. And I really feel like that was, for some reason, the cornerstone of where I really started making progress and, and changing. Well, you re- it sounds like you realized you were going against a core value. Yeah. And, and, what, and this sense of impeccability, right? You, you, whether anyone else knew about it or not is not the point. You knew about it. Yeah. And you weren't okay living with that yeah. any longer, it sounds like. Yeah. yeah. And that struck me. I didn't understand that up until then. Hmm. I really didn't. I... I my belief was, uh, in a way, it was if if it, it didn't happen, if if nobody knows, you know, and um, so I, that was a that was a turning point for sure, and I started doing um, really well. So, um, yeah, I I ended up calling Wasatch and I asked if they had a line staff position open, and mm-hmm. I had called a bunch of different treatment centers, and they did, and so I started Graves and started um, cleaning toilets and doing everything that. Mm. The graveyard shift does and moved up to swing shift and then found my way into my therapist role Mm -hmm. with my degree. And it's ended up turning into a better life than I ever imagined. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. What a, what a powerful story. Mm-hmm. What a powerful story. And, and, and I, I mean, I, I, you know, when I told you about, I mean, actually, I remember your, your husband, your ex-husband, sorry, had, had a heart attack recently, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so are you, you guys must be in some level, um, you know, doing better, I'm, I'm going to oh, guess. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because you went to the hospital and supported him and, mm-hmm. and, and were there, you yeah. know, in, in some way. Yep. And um, so I'm guessing you guys have found some ground to work on and co-parent and things like that. We are great co-parents. Okay. And we have this little family that it doesn't look like it was, it doesn't look like it was supposed to or whatever, but it's our family yeah. and we support each other. We're really good friends. Um, he's there for me when I needed him and vice versa. And it's tr- actually turned into this really beautiful relationship hmm. um, with our girls being the center of the relationship and and um, I couldn't ask for a better situation with that sense. Um, I had to come to some terms with forgiving him. And, sure. Come and, to peace with some things. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that took some time. Yeah. But ultimately, as I got healthier, I realized what mattered in life. And mm-hmm. um, my girls matter. And their happiness and well-being needed to come before anything that was going on between he and I. And I kind of was the one that, that started being polite and started, you know, accepting him more into my life and it just blossomed into a great relationship mm. that we have now co-parenting our our two little girls okay beautiful mm-hmm. beautiful um so what's it like um would you say one of the things that we talked about beforehand this idea of of being a single parent there's a whole series of challenges mm-hmm. in life with this what what's your what's what have you learned and what's what's your experience of that uh, so I, it, my experience is actually evolving right now. I've I've just been surviving, I would say, up until now. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and getting healthier. Those are kind of been my two focuses, and just doing the next right thing mm-hmm. and trying to stay afloat. It's been kind of just almost. It's not a terrible struggle, but it's been hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and the challenges of being a single mom, you know, first of all, just being lonely and mm-hmm. having this idea that you need to have somebody there with you and then the finances. Um, and then, you know, the guilt that I feel for my children, not having a normal 
quote, normal, normal family. Yeah, right. Um, those are all challenges that single mothers face, and I definitely have been facing them. And as I've gotten more healthier, or gotten healthier, I've realized what's important, and I've been able to kind of shift my perspective on what single what single motherhood is. And I, I'm seeing it now and taking it as a really empowering part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing it as an opportunity to do what I want to do and to be a good role model for my girls mm-hmm. and. Um, yeah, just just take take it and run with it. And my my ideas and are totally shifting on it. And I'm actually loving it now mm-hmm. and embracing it. Oh, power! That's powerful. Yeah, that's powerful. And 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 and, and in a way, um, you know, you have someone in your life that probably is a pretty good mentor and model for that. Uh, one of our coworkers uh-huh. who's who's I think um, emulates a, a lot of the qualities you just discussed. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I've I've told her that before too. So, um, and yes, just, Wendy, we're talking about you. We are talking about you, Wendy. <laughs> in fact, I listened to her podcast and I text her after. I'm like, you and I need to go to lunch. We have a lot in common. <laughs> so I, I do. She is my mentor and I do look up to her. And it's just funny how people come into your life. Mm-hmm. And I see her as a person that kind of came into my life and shaped, is helping me shape this this life and being okay and accepting that I'm a single mom and mm-hmm. not always wanting to change that, embracing it yeah. and and making that my life. I don't know if that makes sense, but No, it does. Up until now I've just I've, I've always had this idea that I need to get married, I have to ring get married, I got to go date, I got to do all this stuff and I'm like, "No, you know, I can and she's been a really good example. Yeah. Well, and and growing up in in a certain system which promotes, you know, certain roles and and identity through, you know, a, through that so um you know you grow up you're supposed to get married have kids have the house and do all these things and things look a certain way Mm -hmm. now along the way i mean your story talks about many ways in which you know some of that gets hijacked right so what i mean what i mean through drugs and alcohol um you know and 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 sort of i mean use the word self-harm but in in the sense of of doing harm to ourselves psychologically Mm -hmm. and emotionally Mm -hmm. i mean a lot of that becomes so wane and kinds of begins to fragment you know um sort of these these ideas and these roles that we expect to be living Mm -hmm. and what we think we're supposed to do and and for i mean in my own life in my own own way to uh, adapt to that um i was found myself going against what what were my my true core values it's like that moment you shared when you um realized yeah i, I i'm not a thief yeah. even though i've been stealing things off and on my whole life i mean uh, or, i mean i'm exaggerating no, no, yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, but you know but then all of a sudden i realized that's not that's really not my, one of my core values i'm actually not that person and yep. so I'm going to stop that. And then I start. And once we start living, I mean, if, if we if we talk about you know these these words, and I know it, be a little careful here, but like things like redemption and salvation and and, and things that have to do that come up um, on some type of spiritual level for people, it's this idea of living some kind of truth for themselves, um, and not and not defining other people because they don't necessarily have the same truth that we have, Mm -hmm. but knowing what's true for us. So that, that moment of, um, I'm not a thief. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I got that one when I was really young and then I, and then I kind of mess and, but I, because I taught myself some things that, you know, that, were not healthy, Mm -hmm. similar type, similar type of situation. I've told my story about, um, 
you know, stealing the $10 from my mm. neighbor or those kinds of things. And, and I mean, th- they stuck with me and I t- took on some identity roles that, you know, that was okay. How something simple can, you know, be, have, have a chain reaction associated with it. Oh, yeah. And there are definitely times along the way where I know that I was on a crossroads and I, I could see, you know, which path to take. Mm-hmm. And, um, the, the, Sometimes I, 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 t- I took the path that probably seemed the easiest and least painful at the time, but probably wasn't true as far as mm-hmm. reflecting on what my core values were. Yeah. Yeah. So, so move, moving along, we're, we're going to, if it's okay to shift gears a little bit. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things that uh, you know, I, and I and I ask a, a lot of people that come on the show is um, this idea of when you when you look at yourself in, in relationships, and and we talked a little bit. About, you and I have actually talked about this, and we we talk about all the things we're going to talk about, but we we because of our profession, we talk about it quite often associated with other people, <laughs> and then we often end up reflecting it back on it in our own lives. Yep. You know, when we're when we're out of group or out of you know doing therapy with people, um, but this idea of the role of the the um, the fixer and the saboteur. Mm-hmm. So, um, just hearing your story of the, the dynamic in your first serious relationship with your boyfriend, and you know that, that died and came mm-hmm. back to life and everything. Um, did you see the, the the dynamics there of being whether you, when you played the fixer and the saboteur? I'm wondering and and how that kind of played out in in, in your life with your other relationships too, where you you tried to sometimes be the person that's trying to control and fix everything and looking for things to be a certain way, and then the one who's just going along and I'll just say you know you know just just fuck to it all you know who gives a shit anymore and let you know uh-huh. <laughs> I'm just gonna create the chaos because it's what I know it's what I like yeah. where do you where do you feel you are in, in that in those roles in your life with my boyfriend I definitely was the fixer mm-hmm. I was comfortable doing being that I took it I took that as my role in the relationship mm-hmm. and and um yeah just always needing to fix things and that created a a belief system kind of that that was what I do in relationships uh-huh. and that's how it was um in first in my marriage as well um uh, I was a yes. fixer. yeah and do you think that's that's part of the acculturation the process that we kind of learn that you yeah, know from our, our culture I do. that that's kind of a role and and you know I you know, I'll slap myself later, but the the idea of it maybe you know, especially here in Utah, this there's some gender identification associated with that yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah, and yeah, so I played that role even into my marriage, and um, I was always that was my role. I was the fixer of all of our problems, mm-hmm. and um, I don't know if this happens a lot, but I did eventually turn into the saboteur. And, and the no, it happens maker. all the time. <laughs> no, it does happen all the time that the roles get switched around depending on what's going on in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And often they can change. All then, I mean, you can have two saboteurs in a relationship. Two fixers, boy, that, that gets really testy. But you can definitely have two saboteurs at the same time. But one role kind of pushes against the other. It's almost the yin and yang, in, mm-hmm. a, in a way, of relational dynamics. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as I became the saboteur, he definitely became the fixer, and um, yeah. wanted you to be better. Wanted you, yeah. you know, did what took he, on my problems and yes, and yeah. yeah, and wanted to fix it. And um, in the same, I don't know if you can be both. I mean, I was the fixer in a sense of our marriage, um, but he definitely was in like me. He was trying to control and fix me. Yeah. in that role, and I was self sabotaging and sabotaging our marriage and and the chaos and 
Um, yeah. Ah, the addiction to chaos. I mean, take all the drugs and the alcohol away. Sometimes that addiction to chaos becomes as powerful oh, as anything my, else. Yeah. I mean, so I, I've, I'm learning that right now still that mm. sometimes I'm, you know, sitting home on a Friday night mm. and, and I'm bored and I'm just, I'm bored and I'm like, you know, what's, what do I need to do to <laughs> start doing it? You know, like get exciting or, you know, um, my what, life is what so... What am I going to do to go fuck things up right Exactly. Now? <laughs> and yeah, it's like, you don't, I don't say that to myself, uh-huh. but thoughts and ideas come into my mind where I start realizing like, no, that's you going down that path again of self-sabotage mm-hmm. and like trying to create some sort of chaos that's not necessary. It doesn't have to be that way. And right. I've lived my entire adult life in chaos mm. and I'm learning that it doesn't have to be that way. Yay. It doesn't have to be chaotic. <laughs> no. <laughs> but yes. Well, considering I'm a, 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 I'm an adult too, I've, it took me a long time to figure it out as well. Yeah. And, and I didn't always create the this. I, I didn't. I found different ways to create chaos. Like financial chaos was really easy to create. Um, and usually it was based upon compulsions, not just drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um, I would create financial chaos in my life at times because um, if I had $10 or $20 in my pocket and I, I would b- back before – Back before there was ever such a thing as a Kindle, um, uh-huh. I'm just you know want to be clear. I mean, I'd, I'd go and sp- it, it, that that was my money, my my you know ex- extra money for the week. I'd go to Barnes and Noble and spend it on books instead of food, kind of thing. Uh-huh. You know, and then that would create a chaos, yeah. you know. And then I'd feel shame, and and I've got I've got a, like a, a whole amazing library of books, but I don't have any food in the house, you know. Uh-huh. That doesn't go well with kids. No, it doesn't. I'm learning that too. It does not go well with children. But yeah, I've experienced financial, me creating financial chaos for myself. And that's actually part of this single motherhood that I'm kind of embracing is I'm really taking my finances on as my responsibility and changing that, Mm -hmm. changing that, um, taking, taking responsibility for that and making myself financially independent. So yeah, that off course. Sorry. No, no, that's perfect. That was perfect. That was a nice little loop through. Um, okay, what, what what about the 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 you know life lessons? Um, you know, there there. I mean, you first of all, you shared a ton of them. Um, but do, do you remember one that really stands out and and um, that that seems sort of like. Um, that sort of like the Sermon on the Mountain kind of thing that some, something that you learned or you heard or do you, do you remember, do you remember anything like that that's really stood out in your life? That's maybe something you live by today. Um, mine. Yeah. I, I have this sense of, well, it's just be, be courageous and be bold is, okay. is the motto that I kind of live by. And I le- I learned that from my grandfather and um, in all of my areas of life and stages of life, I've fought through and I've done that by being, by having courage and, um, it, it, that the lesson is that can go a long way and, um, being bold and what you need and ask for. I haven't lived the most ideal, perfect life, but I've made choices for myself that have gotten me to a really happy place and where I am. And I, I, if I weren't courageous and bold, I don't think I would be where I am right now. Uh And, and so you, you said you, you attribute this to your grandfather. Yeah. And how did he? How did, did did he talk to you about this? Did did he emulate it? I mean, how he did... emul he just emulated it. Okay. He he was a big part of my life and just was a role model of it. He ended up writing a poem right before he died, and and that was his motto. It was said in the poem, which is kind of ironic, but. Um, oh, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so um, he 
just taught me that, you know, you don't have to be afraid and that you, you can do whatever you want in life. You just have to have the courage to do it, Mm -hmm. to just step out there and do it. And that having courage and doing the next right thing as I pulled myself out of this dark addiction, Mm -hmm. um, has been very courageous and stepping out and being on my own and having my own apartment and having it's, it's all involved this courage that I've had to carry the entire time. And, um, so yeah, that, that would be the life lesson that I I have. Okay. Um, well, tell me how you find, uh, what, what brings you joy in life? My children. Your children. Okay. Self-care. <laughs> Speaking of mentors, uh, Wendy's my self-care mentor. I always, <laughs> I always just say that. So when I think about, you know, when I see her, it's like, because I made an agreement with her, like two years ago about something when it comes to self-care, when I, when I see her and I'm, I know I'm not doing that very well, uh-huh. I'm like, oh shit, there's Wendy. And, 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 <laughs> and, and I know this is, that's all just internal dialogue stuff. And, and, and it, it's, it sounds funny when I say it, but you know, that making that agreement with someone, you know, just as, as a friend, you know, that, that has modeled what I think is a pretty, pretty level-headed self-care. Uh-huh. Um, I, I kind of look back at that and go, yeah, that's one of those things that friends do for each other. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So I'm uh, sorry. I see that's called hij- hijacking a little bit, but oh. <laughs> so, um, you know, where you, f- you find joy is with your kids and then self-care. And what do you do for self-care? Uh, I, I'm a big fan of self-care these days. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I, I do yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, I do hot yoga and I do yoga every morning and evening. Um, I, there's, I made a pact with myself when I, when I got the, my job at Wasatch that I was going to allow myself to do self-care as far as beauty goes once or twice a week and so I budgeted money and I get my nails done good and my hair done you know whenever I need them done so I have that money set away um you know I read books I um I take time for myself um my job brings me joy Mm -hmm. it does it's um, a huge source of joy for me, the, the people that I work with, but also the work that we do on a daily basis, even though it's hard and it's emotionally draining. Sometimes it really does bring me joy mm. in its own kind of way. Yeah. So, and then the last thing I would say is my family. Um, I really steered away from my family during these dark times and pushed them away. Actually uh-huh. didn't allow them to help me. I thought that they wouldn't understand that they couldn't help me at all. Mm-hmm. And, I've had to learn to accept and embrace their help. And now they're just a huge part of my life and, um, a huge part of my life and my, and my children's life, obviously, but being with them and having my kids be a part of their life. And that whole dynamic is, Uh is, brings me a lot of joy as well. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Okay. Um, where's, I mean, you may have kind of answered this a little bit, but I, because it often flows into self-care sometimes and you brought up yoga and i I say you know where's i think of this as sort of the zen zone in some ways because it's almost a a therapeutic process to kind of tell our story from a perspective of um you know finding our way through and 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 you know finding our way through life and finding our way through some of the darkest times. Mm-hmm. Um, but in how, how we, how we connect to that Zen zone that for ourselves mm-hmm. and, and maybe yoga is part of that. And I, I get the yoga thing. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, an, it's an important practice, I think towards um, self-awareness and especially aware of our body getting in our bodies. Mm-hmm. And 
I think it's probably one thing we don't do enough is is kind of center in our bodies a lot, mm-hmm. and finding practices to do that are really important. But when 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 you find when you, you think of the the place where you you connect to the, that part of you, that that Zen part of you, mm-hmm. that, that 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 there's some foundation of peace. How do you do that? How do I find that? Yeah, and that how do you place? do? And how do you do it? What besides the besides the yoga? How do you how do you do that? I I'm very big on being present and mindful. Mm, okay, present of the moment. I I find so much um, zen, if you will, but a sense of calmness and security in the being in the moment. It's got me through a lot of a lot of hard times. Um, just bringing myself to the present moment and accepting it for what it is, that's that's my Zen zone. That's where I feel at most peace when I'm able to do that and get out of my head yeah. and into my body, into my heart. And yeah. Into my heart. Yes. Into my heart. <laughs> into my heart. Okay. Beautiful. Beautiful. Um, and, and that'll lead us into um, how, do, how do you connect or find or how do you define um, faith spirituality god the universe what what is that for you in, mm-hmm. in your life how do you define and and connect to that that's a good question that's something i didn't mention in my story but i'm a very very spiritual person um even after i left the church if you will um i still had strong the beliefs. Church. the church right <laughs> i um i still had strong beliefs and it's my spirituality has kind of grown and evolved into this a huge part of my life mm-hmm. that I kind of not really talked about, but it's a big part of my life, my recovery. And, um, I pray all of the time, you know, um, I, I let him guide me and my spirituality, my mm-hmm. higher power is God. Mm-hmm. Um, I trust that he forgives me for the things that I do. And I have a relationship with him. I talk okay. to him like he's my friend and yes. I get mad at him and I cry at him and <laughs> we have a little relationship yeah. that's going on and, and it works for me. And, um, uh, I'm trying to teach the spirituality aspect for my kids, taking them to a non-denominational Christian church and, mm-hmm getting them into it because I find it so important. But yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's a big part of my life. Beautiful. Sure. Beautiful. I like the, I, I, I really believe and embrace this idea of having a conversation uh. um, with something, uh-huh. you know, in, even if it's with the higher part of our self, like our core, our core um, values, our core purposes, mm-hmm. those kinds of things. Um I, I, you know, I think you and I have shared a little bit about this, but I, I, I connect through nature. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I find that it's the same kind of feeling or experience, regardless of how it gets defined or how it, you know, gets verbalized or what language is used. But this, uh, this idea of having a conversation with nature, which. <laughs> I was kind of joking a little bit with Kristen the other day, and we were we were, we were talking about you know about you know it may be a good time to get back out into the desert for a little while and uh, and do a, a, a vision quest or or I said yeah or a walkabout because I realized I used to go down the desert quite a bit and uh-huh. alone and do walkabouts and one of the things that I found myself doing on those which is going for walking for days in the desert mm. now this is not for everyone and I'm not prescribing anyone to do this but for me it really works. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what I mean in the middle of nowhere, I mean out in the middle of nowhere, in the primitive areas and uh, in the elements and just with a, a sleeping bag and, you know, wow. a pack and some minimal food. Um, but I find myself talking with 
the desert. Mm-hmm. I'm talking with everything, the plants, the trees, the animals, anything that's out there. I'm, I'm having conversations. And to me, that is kind of the same kind of thing. I don't identify it as, as necessarily a deity, but I, I do identify it with something that I'm connected to on, mm-hmm. a, on a very deep level. Yeah. And, and I, I, f- I find the importance of being able to speak that out loud, to be able to converse with something really valuable in the sense of, of finding center. Yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. Beautiful. Okay, lastly, we'll go to, um, and uh, before we, we wrap up here is, um, and I did talk to you about this, uh-huh. is the idea of the, the songs. If there are a song or two or something that would represent, um, in a way, to be for you to be remembered, Tiff, or, or a, um, a life celebration for yourself. Mm-hmm. Are there any songs in your life that have had strong meaning? And, yeah. and, and if so, why? Yeah, music is a big part of my life. It's been very powerful in stages of my life and something that, yeah, it's a big part of my life. So um, the first song, I think, um, it's a new song, and it's it's just called, it's a kind of a rapish song, but it's called Be Humble. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's by um, Kendrick Lamar. Kendrick Lamar, just, yeah, yeah, yeah I know the song. About, yeah, and I've learned humility through these process. Mm-hmm. Um, I've learned that you got to be humble to get through a lot of stuff. And I kind of live by that, you know, humility and it's a big value of mine. So I would say that song, um, Rachel Platten's my fight song. Um, oh, which you have a couple lines of it. I do. I, my your, mom made yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. In my office, I have, this is my fight song. Take back my life song. It's kind of my, my, what, what, what should I soundtrack? Like the main song on my soundtrack, especially through these last few years of everything that I've gone through. And the lyrics are very powerful. Yeah. Um, and then the last one, uh, I'm a huge Garth Brooks fan. Love him. Always have been. Um, he's my favorite artist. His song, Unanswered Prayers, um, is another one. Yes. It just talks about unanswered prayers and... Um, a lot of my prayers with with everything like they haven't been answered really mm-hmm. my life has turned into something that's not at all what I expected mm-hmm. not at all what I pictured and I'm and I I'm so thankful for it and I love my life right now and couldn't ask for anything different so I'm grateful for those prayers that weren't answered beautiful yeah that's beautiful um yeah, with Garth Brooks, I apologize. My first my, my first thought went to, you know, friends and friends low places. Friends and low places. Right? Yeah, so. That could be another time in my life. <laughs> yeah, right, no. yeah, the friends yeah. and low places. That was at one point, yes, the soundtrack of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and I still know people that sing that on a daily basis. Okay. Um, <laughs> Tiffany, thank you so much. I appreciate you doing this. And... Um, I feel fortunate because I, I, <laughs> I get to work with you all the time, but I'm glad our listeners will get to know a little bit about you yeah. as well. Um, and I uh, really appreciate you spending some time with us here on the Saturday afternoon. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thanks okay. for having me. All right. We will go out today. Thank you for listening. We will go out as we usually do with a little Joan Osborne. Have a great week.